Welcome to Pocket Dilemmas, our podcast where we discuss political and economic questions which are facing the world today. I'm Jonathan Charles and this is Pocket Dilemmas. Kerry Laura and I are always tackling the big issues. The world is changing at a rapid pace and so must our attitudes towards working, socialising and travelling. And of course at the same time we have to live through this coronavirus pandemic. But does this exponential change impact men and women differently? Our dilemma today is, does the pandemic affect men and women in very different ways? Does it exacerbate already existing gender inequalities? And what does it mean for the future of women at work? What are pocket dilemmas? Are algorithms biased? Will robots take away your job? Do you trust cryptocurrencies? How do we bridge the pay gap? What is the future of poverty? This is Dilemmas at EBRD.com. I think that there's no question that this pandemic affects men and women very differently. Obviously, there's a higher mortality rate for men, which is horrible, um, but equally women are affected in other really significant ways. So the lockdown has shifted the way we work, live, raise our kids, and there's some really important questions that are raised uh, with regards to how the role of women is changing as they take on more uh, household responsibilities and childcare responsibilities. So is this temporary or are we kind of slipping back into the gender equality um, days of the 1950s? So I recently read this article in The Atlantic on how the coronavirus is killing feminism by British journalist Helen Lewis, highly recommend it. She actually wrote the book called History of Feminism in 11 Fights. So Jonathan, she knows a thing or two on the subject. I love Um, the title. I know, so do I. Um, So she writes, and I quote, a pandemic magnifies all existing inequalities. Working from home in a white collar job is easier. Employees with salaries and benefits will be better protected. Self-isolation is less taxing in a spacious house than than a cramped apartment. One of the most striking effects of the coronavirus is that many couples will be sent back to the 1950s. Across the world, women's independence will be a silent victim of the pandemic. Yikes. So also with this pandemic, we're talking about not just the global health crisis, obviously, it's also the biggest economic crisis since um, what some say is the the Great Depression. So that's huge. And no one knows really what the costs are going to be. So economically, how it's going to change our society. So to draw from some different health emergencies, there's actually evidence from both the Zika uh, virus and the Ebola epidemic that exacerbated already existing inequalities in Africa. Um, And so we actually go back to Helen Lewis and she mentions a super interesting um, fact as well. She says, according to the British government's figures, 40% of employed women work part-time compared with only 13% of men. Jonathan, I knew that women probably worked part-time at a higher rate than men, but I had no idea that the difference was this shocking. Well, what I find really interesting, Kerry, as well, is actually a lot of these women that we're talking about, by the way, who work part-time, are what we also think of as critical workers now, because a lot of those women, for example, hold down jobs in supermarkets, which they do part-time, in cleaning jobs, all sorts of jobs which previously society has barely noticed but actually now they are critical. So they may be small in number and they probably are going to be very badly affected outside those critical areas. I I think you're you're absolutely correct. And not only are they on the front line exposing themselves to the virus, but they also disproportionately, per our conversation today, they have more childcare responsibilities back home. So can you imagine the stress in, in those households? 
So there was a, actually this response to Helen's op-ed in the Boston Globe, and it was written by this lady named Kathy Young. And she's a journalist and author of Ceasefire, Why Women and Men Must Join Forces to Achieve. So a little bit more of a positive spin as opposed to the uh, uh, Helen's book. Um, but she actually questioned whether the coronavirus really does affect women more than men. And she quoted a recent um, tweet by the UN and some other stories. And she actually sees the situation as an opportunity for companies to adopt more attitudes towards flexible working and working from home scenarios. So I thought that was an interesting spin. She also stresses the importance of father's roles in homeschooling and normalizing the role of carers to include dad as well. Um, so basically the bottom line of her argument is that men and women are in this together and let's recognize vulnerabilities with equal concerns. I always, I always laugh though when I hear men and women are in it together because uh, the response is always, well, some are in it more than others. I mean, it, and it, it depends household to household, right? Like I, I, look at, I look at my household, for example, and I'm very lucky to have a partner that splits things 50-50, but um, some of my colleagues and contemporaries, I mean, it's, it's not that way. And you really see the stress in the household and how different it really is. So, you know, we saw the spirit of what Young is talking about in the Second World War. I know that's kind of um, a, a big comparison, but, you know, as a result of the labor shortages, women were allowed to work in industries they've never been allowed to work in before. I also think the Second World War, fun fact, um, is credited for women being able to wear trousers as opposed to just skirts. So, um, you know, some small positives um, come out of some of these deep, dark negatives. So, I guess in summary, we really have two big questions here, Jonathan. We have one, is there an opportunity to cement some of the working practices that may aid equality in the future for women at work, like more working from home, more alternative hours, more flexibility? Or are we, too, witnessing a massive slip back into gender roles in the 1950s? So seize the day or buried under a pile of nappies and washing dishes? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a one step forward, two steps back type of person. And, uh, you know, listening to what you said about the Second World War, and actually, I don't remember the First World War, despite my great age, but I certainly have read uh, about the First World War, where, of course, women were working very heavily in factories as well. Uh, and yet, after the war, failed to get many of the gains that they'd enjoyed during the First World War, and, and the same a bit in the Second World War. So some step forward, but not the full step forward. I, it doesn't endure in exactly the same way that it might do as it did in those conditions in those two wars. So it makes me wonder this time as well, whether what will endure and what won't in this sort of crisis. Uh, what do you reckon, Kerry? Are we in, uh, do you think, for a, a backsliding in gender relations? You know, I, I don't know, it's complicated, right? I, I see both the seize the day angles as well as the, the disadvantages. It's definitely a stock take and learning moment for the future. So what skills are we gonna need as women in the workforce? And are they different from what we thought they were before the crisis? And personally, Jonathan, I've actually really struggled um, being at home and, and working from home. I actually have a little baby. Um, and you know, in addition to a, a full workload, we have no childcare. And so my husband and I, as I mentioned earlier, we're you know, balancing taking care of this little baby with no childcare, with workload on both of our plates that are as full, if not more full than before. Um, and thank God, my husband does most of the cooking and he's way better at cleaning than I am. So, you know, it's a challenge to maintain the equilibrium of a family and stay professional. And many women don't have the option to work from home and split childcare responsibilities with their partner. So I feel, I feel lucky, but how are you finding it? Uh, it's definitely a tweaking of roles in some ways, not entirely though, because uh, if I think back, you know, it seems an awful long time ago now before the coronavirus, it's only, it's only a few weeks that we've been working in this way. But if I think back to what I would describe as, as pre-coronavirus life, 
you know, my wife and I were both working. Uh, we both travel quite often. We have a young son um, and we both pretty much uh, did things 50 50. You know, when my wife was away, I was the sole carer for a week. When I was away, she's the sole carer for a week. When we're together, we're splitting the roles. I think we just had to tweak that in the lockdown situation that we find ourselves. Obviously, our son is now here and being taught at home. So we have to make time for that. And we both make time for that. We, we generally split things 50 50. This is Pocket Dilemmas, the podcast which explores the political and economic problems shaping our world. Review us on iTunes, email us at dilemmas at ebrd.com, follow us on Twitter at ebrd. And we have a great lineup of guests today on Zoom, where we'll be Zooming in on the issue. Get it? I know that's a lame joke, Jonathan. Um, but <laughs> we terrible. have today with us... <laughs> But we're at home and it's a little bit of cabin fever. So, you know, let's, let's go with Remember it. what I said about standards not slipping, <laughs> even though you're at home. Right, even though you're right. in the I'll remember that. Okay, um, so we have Linda Midgley joining us today in the Netherlands. She's with PwC and a specialist in sustainable strategy in the SDGs. We also have Don Duhani, who's partnership manager at the Wellcome Trust UK. Don's joined us before on the podcast. And Sonia Barlow, who's the co-founder of Like-Minded Females. Ladies, I know it's tough, but give me your quick five-second take on our issue today. Just to remind you, our dilemma is, does the pandemic affect men and women differently? Does it exacerbate already existing gender inequalities? What does it mean for the future of women at work? So this is a lot in five seconds, but Linda, why don't you go first? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's that's impossible. Now my time, my five seconds are already up, but well, a couple of things. I think in, in any crisis, people look to the short term and i think what we need to do is keep our heads cool and make sure that the short-term decisions we make also keep the long term in mind and that we're thinking about you know how can we use our decisions to steer where we go so that we end up in the seize the day and not in the buried under a pile of nappies uh, scenario and what those actions look like that's going to depend on content um and i'm sure we'll talk a little bit about more of that later so for me it's really uh, think long term even in the short term act now and take uh, context into account. I love the optimism. Dawn, how do you see things? Yes, well, I agree with a lot of what's been said. I think for me, um, this crisis has really exacerbated the good and bad in society, the good, obviously the community spirit. But I do think that this is also about privilege, as we sort of alluded to, um, not only with gender, but with wealth inequality, people who are on zero hours contracts. So I think in the future, we need to think about how we safeguard the most vulnerable in society. And that's what we need to learn from this crisis. Excellent, super interesting. Sonia, do you agree with Linda and Don's points? Yeah, 100%. Uh, to your three questions, yes, I think it does affect men and women differently. Yes, I think it except, um, exacerbates uh, already existing gender inequalities. But what it also does is it shows us the inequalities that we have when it comes to race, uh, culture, privilege, status, economy, finances, education and tech. Like education and tech right now are the, you know, the kind of the basis after gender, let's say. Because if we're taking everything online, it just showed us how, you know, there, there are some people in the world who don't have education on how to use technology and don't have the technology to learn. And running a female friendly um, and diversity network I definitely think that it does mean different things for women at work and I I think that because we've had over 250 messages in the last three weeks from women and those who identify as kind of non non non-men 
asking us exactly what they should be doing. Yeah. An excellent point on tech, you know, and that actually brings me to this research um, from the OECD that shows that women are actually slightly less susceptible to automation as they are more concentrated in sectors such as health and social care and education, which are less automatable. So Linda, how this crisis affect the demand for jobs in the future? Well, you know, I, I think to answer that question, you need to kind of deconstruct it a little bit. Um, so I think the first thing we can see technology becoming more and more prominent. I think that mm, if that research was conducted now, we might have slightly different outcomes because what you can see is that even in sectors like healthcare, like education, well, we're all being forced to use technology a lot more than we have been before. So, you know, that might be changing a little bit. Um, on the other hand, I, I think if you look, there's also research from the from the IMF looking at OECD data that you, if you look at sectors more broadly, that um, women are sometimes more susceptible to automation because they're doing, uh, in some cases, more routine jobs, um, which might be replaced, for example, by SOBOTS, et cetera, in, in future. Um, what I think we need to consider is that the nature of work and the nature of jobs is changing to becoming more, um, let's say, jobs that require technology. And, you know, those trends that Sonia was talking about earlier, we really need to make sure that we facilitate women in that uh, transition so that they are there and able to capture these new types of jobs when they, uh, when they arise. So, you know, I, I think that all sectors are going to be influenced by, uh, by technology more than we've seen before. And even the ones that uh, have been, let's say, exempted in a way um, previously. We need to equip women to be able to to capture that. Of course, Linda, uh, women's pay in all sectors, but including the health and social care sector, you know, that remains a big issue and not, not just uh, inequality in pay, but also, of course, transparency over pay. It's sometimes hard to get to, to the real inequalities if you can't see it uh, very, very easily. Do you think uh, some of this, particularly in the health and social care sectors, bearing in mind this crisis now and the aftermath of this crisis and the way people are thinking about these sectors, do you think this will change this question of women's pay in those sectors? I hope so. Uh, I think right at the beginning of the crisis, there was a Dutch comedian who talked about people like me who uh, make PowerPoints and Excel sheets as though our lives depend on it and suddenly realized when the crisis came that, you know what, our lives actually don't depend on another PowerPoint or another Excel sheet. Our lives depend on doctors and teachers and, you know, these really are the essential sectors. And any parent who's doing homeschool and conference calls at the same time with a child uh, hanging on their neck, I think I've heard, uh, you know, a lot of people expressing a lot more appreciation for, uh, you know, for healthcare, for education, for these kinds of sectors. Um, I hope that that's going to translate into a different social debate and more, uh, let's say, also financial appreciation of these jobs. To be honest, I'm not sure whether that's going to be a temporary effect or a permanent one, but I, you know, I sincerely hope that we'll get our priorities straight as a society and, um, and recognise the value of them. Yeah. Yeah, so your words remind me we're all going to be very good. We can get careers as jugglers going forward, I think, actually. That will be, uh, we're very good at keeping many things spinning, plates spinning in the air. Let me remind you, you're listening to Pocket Dilemmas, the podcast which explores the political and economic problems which are shaping our world. Review us on iTunes, email us, we love to hear from you, dilemmas at ebrd.com and follow us on Twitter, of course, at ebrd today, uh, at ebrd on Twitter. Uh, our today dilemma is, does the pandemic affect men and women differently? Does it exacerbate already existing gender inequalities? What does it mean for the future of women at work? 
Don, you've been working on tech, um, especially in the public sector. So how do you see the advancement of bringing in more women? I remember a conversation about algorithms and how important it was to have diverse people kind of behind the code, creating the, the code. How do you see the situation now and what will be the lasting effects of these changes? Thank you. Yeah, I think that's a really great question because if we think about the context we're in now, I mean, algorithms aren't going to help us through this crisis. It is the essential workers. So it's actually interesting how we how we frame what's important. Um, I think when we have talked about tech in this crisis, it has been around um, the tracing apps. And in there, as I've always said, I think it's always it's important to think about diversity. Um, maybe not necessarily gender diversity in this case it's about maybe like the digital divide who has access to um, digital technology who doesn't also in terms of how do we make sure we're capturing accurate data um you know carolina criado perez's famous book um it's about are, are we making sure that women are being counted in in the data that's that we're using um to trace corona Sonia, you're working in tech as well, and you're self-employed, you know, self-employed female entrepreneur in tech. That is that is not easy, presumably, at the moment. How is the crisis impacting you personally? Thank you for that question. So one thing that we haven't shared so far is that our business has gone from like-minded females to LMF Network CAC, which means in the last month, so i.e. about a week before the crisis hit, we decided to turn into a not-for-profit. And so our strategy has completely gone out the window. One, because the funding that's available in the UK at the moment, for example, I, from a, from a self-employed perspective, we don't fall into that area. So we haven't raised over 250,000 pounds and nor have we been self-employed for a year or more. Secondly, from a not-for-profit and social enterprise perspective, we obviously have a whole different direction in regards to kind of commercial strategic and, um, community partnerships so that's something i'm having to readdress in our kind of future um propositions and services and lastly as i have an expertise in technology business entrepreneurship but i do a lot of public speaking i'm having to really transition transform my services really quickly so we've already hosted for example in the last three weeks over 30 webinars and upskilled over 500 people online and we've done that all for free. So now it's about making that packaging, going to companies or clients and employers and saying, well, I can host online facilities and activities really quickly. Do you have any work for me? So I guess to answer your question, it's definitely hit me personally hard and hit the tech sector hard. But what it's also showcased is I have ample education knowledge that I can be giving to like universities and to students and those that really need the help right now. So I guess my key takeaway from all of this and I ask everyone is what do you want to be remembered for um, and how do we enable kind of a, a collaborative upskilling approach that I think everyone needs right now. Actually, that sort of thinking you're doing is a great reminder, isn't it, that crises are not just terrible things as this one is. There is also something that comes out of them. Sometimes, you know, it does spur imaginative solutions. It spurs innovation. Uh, and certainly spurs a lot of, as you're showing, lateral thinking. I I definitely think there is a failure in everyone's part and there's mistakes that have been made. But if you think about how technology works and how innovation works, new ideas grow from things not working, right? So right now, the same companies who are talking about not having work from home policies or the fact that we were having different um, government initiatives when it came to low-skilled workers 
Well, hopefully coming out of this, we're going to look at a whole new remit of services and policies that are now available, but also innovative ideas from the likes of, you know, government to businesses to communities. It's what is the new innovative trends and, and really the new businesses that are coming out of it. So that for me is extremely exciting. And I think we'll come back to that, by the way, a bit later on, uh, just before, before Kerry comes in, because, uh, you know, I think this question of, you know, the positives that may come out of this for women as well, and, and working from home being more widely accepted is, is one of the things that could easily come out of this, I think. Um, we'll come back to that, because that is a very interesting uh, side to what is going on here. Kerry. Yeah, well, I was just going to simply comment on, on what Sonia said. I mean, if you look at this crisis, if this crisis would have happened 20 years ago, um, when we didn't have access to all of this technology, then, you know, what would happen to women then? So, you know, even though technology can, um, can be dangerous in some respect, and in, in some of the ways we're going to get into, you know, be it, be it surveillance, be it, um, you know, excluding women, because of technology, gig workers, women, we have the ability to actually um, have these small businesses and to be a little bit more agile. So I guess in a sense, we're lucky that we have the technology that we do today to be able to even function as, um, as a small business or as a community. So um, Sonia, I really loved your observation about, um, you know, you said that there's this, there's this tech world and it seems like you have actually a sense of community. Do you, do you think there is actually a sense of community in, in the tech entrepreneurial world? Do you think that um, this world has you know, a lot of connection? What are some of the important attributes of kind of this tech world and this entrepreneurial world that you live in? I think that's a great question. And to answer the first question or the first point you made, do you think there's a sense of community? Actually, no. I think there was a an image or a persona that the, the, the technology world is very connected and there is a sense of community and collaboration. But when it came to crisis, you really had an understanding of who was there to help you and how you can help others. And what it realized is we're not, we're not connected enough and we're not connected with a diverse range of entrepreneurs or businesses and services. So if you're connected to people who are extremely like-minded, who are doing same or similar things to you are, then you're not really diversifying your community set or your friendship set or, or the skills that you're learning. So I guess the first point is we weren't as connected as we thought we were despite being online. The second point to that is it's now helped us to realize who we're not connected with, how we need to connect with them and what are the social presences that we're having, i.e. going back to that concept of like personal branding, going back to, right, if I'm a woman who is working from home, how do I... Uh, learn how to do it. How do I, or who do I connect with, for example? In the first week, we had over 100 messages from women saying, we don't know how to work from home. Do you have a webinar coming up? Do you have a booklet? Do you have a blog? Because we've never had the training or the onboarding. And so third part and the tertiary part, which I think is the most significant and it's the beautiful aspect of this is, it's most definitely helping us to become more connected, but with more quality relationships where we can really help each other and help us to prosper in the future and sponsor one another. Interesting. Don, do you, do you see that this kind of period of isolation and pandemic has made you feel a little bit more connected in the tech community as well? I think, yeah, I think yes and no. I think, um, 
yeah in the tech community in my in my day job I work in sort of data science and there's quite a strong community there but I did want to raise the point uh, speak to the point about entrepreneurs because I think actually there are a lot of entrepreneurs out there that but we don't think of them as that so when we hear the word entrepreneur we think of like Mark Zuckerberg but if you're a salon owner with a website you are you are an entrepreneur so it's it's those people we also need to we also need to look out for um i want to throw in a bit um about the also a bit of spread spread of misinformation um through the sort of through technology so um i'm part of quite a few whatsapp groups where lots of information has been spread which is not true <laughs> um with different older members of my family and things like that so yes we're closer together but can we make sure also that the right information is being spread through those um, technology connections that's an interesting point linda i mean you're working on sustainability issues it's i always think that's this, a, a real issue for governments now they've got to keep one eye on the immediate crisis dealing with coronavirus and the very long-running probably recovery at the other hand, they've still got to make progress on the other issues that are important to them in the years ahead. You know, green economy, gender, obviously being one of those issues. The issues of the sustainable development goals that countries have signed up to and which actually we're only 10 years away from, from delivery. 2030 is the target for those. This will be very difficult, isn't it? How, how do governments now approach this? Because they've got this overwhelming crisis and they've also got to think of a longer timeline. There are two different timelines running here. Right. Yeah. I mean, well, that's a that's a huge question. I think and all, all governments are doing things uh, are doing things differently. I, I read a, a really nice article in The Economist the other day that said, well, you know, the, the coronavirus this pandemic. It's in some countries, in some contexts, it might turn out to be a national security crisis first, an economic crisis second and a health crisis third. Uh, you know, I think that is the, the doomsday scenario, if you like. What what we have seen is that certainly in some countries um, that hasn't happened so if you look for example in South Africa I'm South African so I follow I follow that very closely and they have been able to flatten the curve uh, dramatically a lot uh, more effectively than people thought now that doesn't mean nothing's going to happen but it means you buy time to be able to uh, put in place the things that need to be there um, then to your point about well there's limited resources um, you know there are going to be trade-offs well you know there, there might be uh, there will be but i think the only way that we can uh, advance is if we start to look for the win-wins um and i i think gender equality uh, or dealing with inequality in general is a great way to advance that so, so let me give you a, a really concrete example we looked at we looked into companies around the world, more than a thousand companies, and we looked at the SDGs and which SDGs they are prioritizing. Now, about half of them, which in, in 31 countries, about half of these uh, over a thousand companies chose uh, gender equality as a priority, SDG five. Fewer actually, uh, a few fewer looked at um, SDG 10 on inequalities in general. But, more than 80% chose either climate or good jobs and economic growth. Now, bearing in mind that women are half of the population, there are you know, all sorts of different kinds of inequality, you're never going to get to decent work for everybody unless you look at things with a gender lens. So these win-wins, um, you know, how, can we, uh, how can we look at climate uh, technology? How can we engage women in that? How can we bring these things together? That's going to be the way to get out. 
And so that's going to mean innovation. That's going to mean uh, adaptability. Um, I, I loved what Sonia was saying. I actually kind of got goosebumps listening to her um, because, you know, it's really not about your IQ anymore. It's about your AQ, your adaptability quotient. And uh, I, I don't know of any research, but my gut feeling tells me that if you're in a minority, you're likely to be more adaptable just because of what you've had to do to, to go through things. So I, there's something in me, maybe I'm an incurable optimist, but um, it, you know, it does feel like that has to help us somehow. I'm a great believer this brings out the fight in people at key moments, actually, you know, including fighting for advancement and, and adaptability is part of, I think, if, if the gender issue is going to be advanced, you know, adaptability will clearly be key in the years going forward as well, you know, but I, I hope governments still keep uh, an eye on both, all the timelines that they're fighting. My worry is resources get swallowed up into the immediate fight. Um, management time, if you like, from a government point of view, gets swallowed up in the immediate fight. And it is quite difficult then to have the bandwidth to deal with other issues. And it's really about taking a step, you know, governments are governments, but the people in governments are, you know, just like all of us. And so it means at the end of your day, taking a step back, take a deep breath, look at the big picture and, you know, don't just act in the short term, but really think what are the consequences going to be in the long term? Okay, let's take a, a deep breath here and a step back. Um, let me remind you, you're listening to Pocket Dilemmas, the podcast which explores the political and economic problems shaping our world. Our dilemma today, does the pandemic affect men and women differently? Does it exacerbate already existing gender inequalities? What does it mean for the future of women at work? Uh, Dawn, you work for the Wellcome Trust. Obviously, they're very heavily engaged now uh, in the whole issue of uh, vaccines, uh, searching for solutions to this crisis. What are the gaps in diversity and equality that this crisis has already unveiled for you? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. So at Wellcome, our director, Jeremy Farah, he's working quite closely with the government in the response to the crisis. But actually, I think this is about um, mobilizing communities so at welcome we've actually um, f helped to fund a COVID-19 therapeutics accelerator which is to support the sharing of data and information between different researchers who are working on drug development so from in terms of like the clinical perspective it's about how do we make sure the information is shared as quickly as possible and there's coordinated efforts um, for a response. John, you, you already kind of hinted at this a little bit earlier, but I have a question about the danger of tech turning a bit dark. So I worry about surveillance practices. I worry about, you know, governments using the auspices of the pandemic to really survey their citizens without cause. Um, how can we hold these governments to account? And, you know, is there a kind of surveillance that could definitely affect women disproportionately? I'm, I'm sure there is. Um, and what can we do to kind of prevent this? And does this also concern you? Yeah, I think it does concern me because obviously there's a balance, um, but I, we need to move fast, but not break things. <laughs> and um, I think that we need to also ensure privacy is designed into anything that we build. Um, actually, there was a, a report up by the Ada Lovelace Institute recently that was um, looking at um, the consequences of a potential tracing app. And I think it's also about safeguarding because if data is got into the wrong hands, it could potentially lead to women being fired from jobs 
or uh, affecting people's um, immigration, potentially with immigration. There's loads of different ways in which um, tracing and surveillance can negatively affect, affect women and affect all people. So I think we need to move quickly, but embed privacy in the design of anything that is created. Yeah, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't agree more. You know, and this new world, we're working on Zoom, we're socializing on house party, we're dancing on TikTok. I bet that's a new one for Jonathan. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, I, I really, find it difficult dancing enough on Twitter without TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I'm really, I'm really kept up at night about the concerns about, you know, our data use and the lack of fluency around technology just in our general society. And I find that the general populace is very basic skills uh, and know-how regarding our data rights and, you know, how to hold the technological providers to account and also our governments. So Sonia, Don, Linda, this is a question to all of you. So is there another skill that we need to, as women, sharpen when we're facing the future of work when it comes to these issues? Sonia, I'll give you a first stab at this. Yes, so the, the, I just wanna kind of pick up on a point you said regarding um, this, the, the lack of skills and the lack of kind of education we have in technology and the fact that you know a small subset really have an understanding of what's going on in the wider remit and one of the things that i'm hoping that comes out of this is companies take that more seriously i for example have messaged a number of companies during this time to say shall we do a training session to retake your services online shall we train your staff members or your community on how to use technology and they've come back with no we don't have the budget or that's not one of our priorities and the thing is companies need to get um get technology technical skills softer skills as a priority and really start investing their budgets on it so they can become more inclusive to your second point what i found as as those who kind of identify as female or non-binary or gender fluid i found that our skill sets such as negotiation and such as managing those difficult conversations are the ones that we need to work on because we tend to say yes to a far more things than our kind of male counterparts. A really good example of that is when we did a workshop about two weeks ago, we had over 150 signups um, and those who attended and it was work from home for beginners and majority of, the, of them were women. And they asked questions like, how do we go on our daily walk? How do we make lunch for us and, and, our, and our kids? If we don't have kids, how do we really convince our employers that we need to end work early? Our managers are micromanaging us. Well, I have to now get up at 6 a.m. to do the rest of the housework and then work all day, etc., etc. The men in the Zoom call were like, hold on, we don't really have this problem because we either schedule it into our diary or if somebody messages us, we politely come back with actually this is what we've done so far these are the working hours this is what i need to focus on in terms of mental health we schedule our day appropriately and accordingly to the workload and what i found from that was skills such as negotiation skills such as managing difficult conversations are still ones we're lacking in and therefore it's making this time slightly harder because we don't we still have that fear that if we don't say yes or we have that fear that if we don't get involved it's going to either cause us to now be furloughed or made redundant or it's going to kind of really impact our future promotion so those more confident and softer skills are definitely what we need to start implementing and start educating and, and sharing our kind of our female counterparts and our community members with super interesting because those are, are things that women not obviously across the board but women in general 
uh, might need to strengthen up, you know, anyway. So I guess, Linda, do you agree? Do you think that prioritizing skills, technical skills, and also some of these other softer skills that maybe women uh, traditionally haven't been great at, like negotiation, do you think that's something that women need to sharpen as we face this, this world of tech? Yeah, I do. And I, I think that was the case already, and I think it's becoming more apparent now. Um, I think those are some great points. The, the only thing I would like to add is that I said at the beginning, I, I really do think it's context dependent. So, you know, whether you have kids or you don't have kids, but also, you know, which country are you living in? Do you even have access to, uh, you know, to internet? Or how are your digital skills? For different, uh, different people, the priority is going to be different. And I think, you know, we need to take that into account. And I think, the most important thing is not to think of what we do need to do for people, but to ask them. So allow people to ask the questions that they need to ask, because then, you know, then we realize, okay, this is what's at play. If we just sort of start thinking of it from the ivory tower, um, we'll probably get, you know, 50, 60, maybe even 70% of the answer if we're lucky. But, you know, to really get to what makes a difference, um, I think we need to, to understand better what's going on and ask people. Don, how do you see things? Well, yeah, I agree. I think it's um, those stories you were telling, Sonia, that's, um, yeah, really moving, actually. But I will, for me, I think it's, we need to think about the structures of inequality. I think often the burden is on women to change um, in these circumstances. But actually, we need to think about, well, who are the managers in this situation who are saying that this is the, this is how the working day should be? How do we get to where the power is? And encourage change there so i think it's a, it's a two track it's a two track thing it's in supporting women but also looking beyond that and looking at the structures that we have and saying that needs to change too i totally agree with that yeah but let's try and look ahead a bit as we come towards the end of the program you know nearly half of women according to a pwc report believe diversity is a career barrier they fear the effect uh, a family may have on their careers but as we look ahead you know we are going through what could be quite a profound change in, in working practices. And that might uh, have two sides of the coin. You know, for those people who have to be physically present in the workplace, it could be disadvantageous to women. You know, they may not have many more advantages. But for women who don't have to be physically present, uh, where, you know, for, it's quite possible, isn't it? For the next couple of years, for all of us, working at home may become the norm uh, and not working in the office. Until there's a vaccine, that may well be for those people who have office jobs the norm does that give more opportunities to women because it may be easier to manage uh, careers uh, with all the other things that are going on if you if you don't have to worry about being in a physical workplace linda well so i'm, I'm very glad with the the preface to that question you know sort of saying well you know for those that don't need to be physically present at their job. i think it is two sides of the coin yeah there are, there are absolutely two sides of the coin. If you, uh, so I guess if I paraphrase your question, it's basically is working at home going to become more accepted and is that going to be better for women? Um, I do think there is, there is certainly uh, a part of that. So uh, where there was perhaps, um, let's say, hesitancy to uh, allow people to work from home, now that's been, been broken. Um, here, I do think it could go either way. So on the one hand, we're, we're much more used to kids interrupting or to people, you know, seeing everybody's living room, uh, which I think is a good thing. On the other hand, it's not always necessarily more efficient to work from home. And so, you know, that could go either way. And that's why, uh, you know, to Dawn's point, 
it really is about tackling these attitudes of how people interpret it. Because on the one hand, we could say, great, you know, they're working from home, um, no commuter time, time to focus, time to concentrate. Don't. On the other hand, you could say, well, kids are always there, you know, they're constantly doing other things, uh, probably not working. You know, it's really about who's looking at this and how they're interpreting it. So, um, yeah, I think we need to do have that two-track approach that Dawn was talking about. Earlier. Dawn, do you, do you think, you know, we heard a few of your thoughts earlier, but do you think there may be some positive upside for some women in this case? I think, for me, I hope that there's more choice because I think feminism is about choice. So if you do have... If, if you do if you do prefer to the work work in the office you can work in the office if you do prefer to work one or two days from home to support in whatever way that's a choice that you can make without having any questions asked for that that's your own need so for me I think that is hopefully a positive to come from it excellent conversation ladies um I'm going to ask you an, an equally hard question um and it's going to not quite be as fast as the five seconds but what are your top three takeaways for um, how you've worked and the future of work um, in these times of lockdown? So we'll start with you, Sonia. What are your what are your top three takeaways from what you've experienced so far? Really focus on your mental health and well-being. I hadn't realized how much I was neglecting myself and my mental health until we were really asked to slow down and take a step back and kind of put on one hour a day walk limits um so that would be my first the second is i bring it back to that innovation concept definitely this is a pandemic it's not about being the most productive but it's definitely about what new ideas can come out of this and what is the new way of working so you know similar to what dawn said the flexibility the adaptability the new opportunities which are coming out are great and the third that i realized is the power of community just even us you know all of us being on this podcast today that's come from our community from our networks and then we're able to jump on from anywhere in the world and do it online virtually that power of community which is obviously has subsets to do with inclusion and to do with diversity which is which is equally as important to me just means that we can find similar or the same values globally now without having to necessarily leave the comfort of our home and yet feel connected and feel like we really are both um learning through the community but also being a part of something greater and i definitely think that this whole scenario has helped to bring that bring that to the forefront and when i relate it back to gender inequality and when i relate it back to women i definitely think it can work in our benefit and hopefully it will give us a lot more opportunity to have a community, innovative presences, and focus on our well-being, as it's now important for everyone. Great, Linda. Top three takeaways from this lockdown period. So, from a, a personal point of view, I think the first one for me has been acceptance. So, just realizing, right, this is this is it, you know, and 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 what are we going to make out of it? Um, the second has been focus. So partly, you know, looking at, well, I can't do everything. What can I do? But also in the sense of, you know, I have two young kids at home, so I have kids time and I have work time. And we managed to keep that, you know, pretty well uh, split. And of course they come in every now and then, but it gives me a lot of peace of mind to, to have those, um, you know, be able to focus on one or the other. And the third one is again, 
back to that point of you know context but also community so realizing that how the lockdown affects me is very different to how it's affecting my colleagues who you know who may live on their own um who have you know a very different uh, experience of it and how it's so much more important to reach out to each other and to be there for each other and be proactive in that so that for me has been a you know, a, a really important one to to be able to show that empathy for others and to feel it from them as well. I love that. Don, last but not least. Yeah, so my three are, um, I think I'm taking this as a period of reflection, actually. I think so often, for me anyway, it's easy to live on just go, 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 autopilot. And I'm taking this as a bit of a time to stop and reflect on what my goals are, prioritization, sort of in that way. I think secondly, I'm going to talk about the importance of experts because I am in a lot, I have seen a lot of those WhatsApp chains. It's really important. And um, thirdly, I'm just going to come back to privilege because it's also made me think about my own privilege. I'm at home. I'm in a quiet space. Um, I'm not under any pressure from anyone else right now. I'm able to do my job. And I have so much privilege in this world. And I think for all women, um, we need to really think about where, where, where people lie in the privileged spectrum and how we can support everyone. Yeah, I think it's a time for everybody to reflect, actually, Dawn, you know, on everything. And actually, it is a, a time also to remember, you know, I think people are very good sometimes at complaining about their lot. But actually, this is a good moment to think about, uh, you know, how lucky we are. Uh, you know, and, and actually to, to also reflect on those people who are not so lucky. Uh, I think it's really a time for, for that sort of uh, community thinking and solidarity on, on all sorts of issues. Um, a reminder, by the way, our dilemma today has been, does the pandemic affect men and women differently? Does it exacerbate already existing gender inequalities? What does it mean for the future of women at work? That's what we've been discussing. Kerry, what do you take out of this conversation then? Gosh, I mean, I go back to one of our initial questions. So should we rebel or should we come together? And I mean, can we do both? I feel like, you know, this whole conversation has me both an optimist at times, but then also a little bit of a pessimist at times. You know, I don't think there's any question that there is gendered impact of this pandemic. Um, I think that's very clear. It'll be interesting to see how these gender inequalities for women and girls um, how if, if they get worse, if this is if this is something that is prolonged or if this is just a moment, you know, in time. But I actually love the takeaways from uh, from everyone on our call today. I think acceptance has been crucial for me. It can be I can be quite hard on myself in terms of productivity and to realize there are only so many hours in a day. You can only do so much when you're trying to take care of of a little baby with no with no child care. So to accept that this is your life and to communicate that openly and, and earnestly, I think with people you work with and with family and friends, I think has been a, savings gra a saving grace. I've, I've alleviated a lot of pressure that way, but also, you know, technological fluency, super important that we sharpen our skills. Um, we are seeing just in our day-to-day -day lives, not only our family and friends who don't know how to use FaceTime, et cetera, but people at work who really struggle to use the, the, the technology and just, how much that can actually set you behind and not only your day, but even, you know, the months ahead, that, you know, as we prepare to work from home. Listen, we're able to work from home. We are, we are the lucky lot. So um, just count, count our blessings because I think, I think we, uh, it's all about perspective right now. 
Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think actually when I reflect on this conversation and generally on this issue, I, I hold a contradictory position. You know, on the one hand, I think I'm quite optimistic and I'll explain why in a second. On the other hand, a bit pessimistic. I'm optimistic because I think the longer this endures in terms of people who are able to work from home, being able to work from home, the more that will change workplace practice. Uh, I think it would be very difficult to imagine in a couple of years if there's been a prolonged spell of people primarily working from home, they may be able to go into the office from time to time, but primarily working, uh, to, for that not to be reflected in workplaces going forward. I think in office workplaces now, I think all employers, you know, and I speak as someone on the executive of, of, of this institution that I belong to, you know, we're thinking about what the workplace looks like when we come through all of this in a couple of years time, perhaps. Uh, won't it be the norm that perhaps people may only come into the office for a couple of days a week? They may not now need to come in, you know, even three, four, five days a week. Uh, so I think that will be a change that will benefit some women who are able to take advantage of that, particularly where they were worried about uh, having to take a break from the career or uh, having to not be, they thought, as productive in their career at certain times in their lives, particularly if they have children. You know, that will be an equaliser. So I'm optimistic, really optimistic from that side. I'm pessimistic, though, when it comes to whether at a government level or an international level, governments right now have the bandwidth to think about whether they can focus on delivery of the sustainable development goals for the next couple of years at the same time as dealing with a major healthcare crisis, economic crisis, which may turn, of course, into a major political crisis in various countries. Uh, and, and I worry that the sustainable development goals, including gender, uh, will become... Uh, relegated to the back somehow, at least for a few years, and then it's quite hard to have catch-up by the time of 2030. So I'm pessimistic about that. And I'm very worried, actually, about uh, what will happen to women who have to be physically present in jobs, because I think there will be, at that end of the spectrum, even more competition for jobs, uh, with men uh, also pursuing those jobs far more, having, you know, if, if unemployment remains high. Um, and, and I think that, you know, that will be difficult. So, so I think it's, there are many different aspects of this. And I think, you know, that's why I'm optimistic and pessimistic. But, you know, we'll see. We're in early stages of all this. It'll be interesting to come back in six months' time and try and assess where we are, particularly if we're in a period of very prolonged homeworking uh, in one form or, or another. Um, I'd like to thank our guests. Thank you very much to Linda, to Dawn, to Sonia. Uh, it's been a really great conversation. And, uh, of course, we would love you, if you're listening, to let us know what you think. Uh, you were listening to Pocket Dilemmas. It is the podcast which explores the political and economic problems which shape our world. Uh, do review us on iTunes. We love that. Helps others to find it as well. Uh, we love to hear from you. Email us. Dilemmas at ebrd.com is where you'll find us. Follow us on Twitter at ebrd is the handle. Until next time, from me, Jonathan Charles, from Kerry as well, stay safe and goodbye. This podcast was brought to you by the EBRD. We'll be back soon with a new episode. In the meantime, send us your feedback, suggestions and ideas on dilemmas at ebrd.com. And remember, reviewing and rating us helps others to find us. Until next time.